0: Hi, I'm David.
1: And I'm Jen, and this is our Abundant Life story.
0: I think when we came to Abundant Life, uh, as soon as we walked in, I mean, from the parking staff to when you walk through the doors, just how many people greet you and are excited to see you. I think for both of us, the music was so amazing. uh, Just pulls you right in and gets you ready to worship.
1: I remember walking in and checking in our kids, and I remember saying to David, They're very purposeful about their child program. Like, I'm excited about our kids coming here. And then, like you said, after hearing the message, I could really relate to it. Every time we'd walk away being like, oh, wow, I really learned something. Yeah. (laughs) I think the thing that allowed us to get plugged into Abundant Life um, was filling out the communication card. And so when we filled out the communication card, we also put in there, we just wanna feel connected. We wanna feel like this is our church home. And when we walk in the doors, we know people and um, so immediately they said well life group is starting you know within a couple weeks and we'd like you to join one.
0: I think the only reservations I had about joining a life group was how comfortable would I be not wanting to ask a, a question that would seem silly. Group prayer I wasn't sure if there'd be group prayers that's something I have a hard time with I, you know I pray by myself and With the life group, one of the things I enjoyed most was when we'd have our meals, we'd eat together, and we started out with a prayer, and I loved that. I I thought that was great and was a good example for me for what I should be doing at home with my family.
1: Yeah, it's nice, we've had different focuses in the life groups which have challenged us and, and helped us grow spiritually with our health, with our family, um, just studying different books of the Bible.
0: So I have a really busy schedule. Uh, my wife has a very busy schedule. For me, my day starts at about 4.30 every day and I leave the house well before I see my family and I come home, we have dinner together. Uh, I'll spend some time with the girls, read them a book, put them to bed and then I normally go back to work in the office until until it's time to (laughs) start the day over. Uh, But there's so much more. There's so much more for my family, uh, for my spiritual growth, to connect with other people. The the Life Group, to have these connections, these uh, extended family members, it's been amazing. And um, it's shown me that there's so much more than just working. I miss out on I'm missing out on life, or I was missing out on life. And uh, I look forward to every Friday night. Um, I look forward to the text messages throughout the week. Uh, you know, if somebody has a prayer request or uh, they just want to say, hi, I'm thinking of you. Um, it's really been amazing, and uh, it's by far a priority.
1: I think joining a life group has benefited our whole family. It feels like um, we have an extended family. We feel really comfortable when we get to church and, and we get a, oh, hey, and there's, you know, people checking in our kids who we're familiar with.
0: I think what has helped me grow the most spiritually has been getting together with a group of people and having that safe environment where, or at least it made me feel safe to ask questions that, I don't know if they're gonna sound silly or dumb, um, cause I didn't grow up in the church and it's been amazing for me because I've had such a desire to, to connect more with Jesus and, you know, actually learn the stories. Um, I think life group has just been an amazing thing for me and I think for the whole family.
1: I think if you're feeling overworked and your schedule's busy, um, you're feeling hesitant about joining a life group that you should just let that go, don't be going to a church for years and years and years, and not feel connected like we were. As soon as we jumped into Abundant Life, we instantly felt connected, and it feels like home when we're there. And I just encourage you to give it a try. Try different groups, and I don't think you'll regret
2: it. Yeah. Well, good morning, good morning Abundant Life. How are you? Yeah, give it up for David and Jen. Awesome. Good to see you guys. You know what? A David and Jen's story could be repeated over and over with the number of couples and people who have been a part of our life group ministry here at Abundant Life Church where people get in and they meet people, they grow in Jesus and they make these new relationships and just develop their faith and it could be repeated over and over again. So if you haven't signed up yet for a life group, let me encourage you to get in one for this fall season. It's gonna be a great season. We're gonna be launching a whole new series beginning next week and the life groups are following those and so I encourage you to be a part. We've got about... Almost a 1,000 people that have signed up now for life groups this fall season. And so if you're not one of them, we don't want you to miss out. And so be a part of that. So get signed up for a life group today, okay? It is so good to see you here. Such always fun to just kind of stand over here and look across and see this sea of faces. and, And all of you are here, and you're worshiping, and you're excited about being here. You're excited about being here, right? yes well because you are my favorite service by the way and uh, so I'm glad you're here and by the way you know the last two weeks I was in I was in Sandy one week and I was in Vancouver the next week it's good to be back here at the Happy Valley campus because not only are you my favorite service this is my favorite campus by far and uh, and so now I love all of our campuses I really do we've got an amazing campus out in Sandy and in Vancouver but it's good to be back didn't Greg and Jeff do a great job the last couple couple of weeks while I was gone to those campuses, they really did, and carrying on the uh, series, Love Is, and so we've been in the series now, Love Is, this is our eighth week, and we're going to wrap it up today. About, oh, probably 30 years ago, I was an associate pastor, and my senior pastor pulled me aside one day, and he says, George, I don't know if you know this about yourself or not, but when you walk into a room, you never speak until somebody speaks to you. And I really did know that about me. I can understand whether that would be true because I'm shy and, and I don't really care to be in large groups of people and all that stuff. And so, you know, it's really I could see where that would be true. It wasn't because I was trying to be rude or because I was, you know, arrogant or prideful or any of that stuff just the way I was, but it was great news. I mean, it was good to hear, and I'm grateful that he loved me enough to tell me that because it was important, especially if I'm going to be a pastor and working with people and all of that, it's good to know. It's just, just good stuff to know. And not only that, but I learned an important lesson that day, and that is that if you want to grow, if you want to develop, then you have to be open to people speaking into your life and being able to receive news about your that maybe isn't, you know, the the most flattering news, but you have to be open to, to hearing those kinds of things. How many of you believe that honesty is the best policy? Yeah, honesty is the best policy. How many of you believe honesty is the best policy when the truth is about you? You know, that's not, not as exciting, is it? I mean, in theory, it's, yeah, I need to learn the truth about myself, but practically speaking, it's like, ouch, you know, that hurts, you know. I'd rather you tell me good things about me, not the truth about me, and, and it can sometimes hurt. Well, we're in this series that we're wrapping up today called Love Is. And in this series, we've talked about a lot of things that love is. We've talked about how love is patient. How many of you have discovered now you need more patience? How many of you are becoming more patient people through the course of this series? Hands go back down. Okay. Still got to work on it. And we've talked about how love is kind. How many of you have been more kind? You've been a kind of person to the people in your life. Good, good, good. Way to go. And uh, how, how love is respectful. Respectful, how many of you are being more respectful of people, right? Love is humble, love is, uh, love is uh, what else is love? I, I forgot what else love is. You know, love is forgiving to people. How many of you have discovered that, that you've had opportunities to forgive people over the course of the last seven weeks? Yeah, all the time, you know, asking for forgiveness and, and, and forgiving people and all of that. Today, we're talking about how love is truthful. Love is truthful, and we're talking about speaking the truth in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. And then in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes these words. He says, Speak the truth in a spirit of love. Speak the truth, but do it in a spirit of love. It can be scary to tell people the truth, right? It takes courage. It takes guts. It can be frightening to tell people things about themselves that maybe they don't see because you're not sure how they're going to respond to it. And so, sometimes we can be a little bit reluctant to doing that, but it's necessary, you know, with husbands and wives. In fact, just yesterday, my wife and I were sitting in the coffee shop, and we got into a really good conversation and it was going a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and and you know we talked about some things to where you know I'm not going to tell you what we talked about but but you know she was talking to me about some things and I, I know it coming coming from a heart of love and and I received it that way but between husbands and wives between parents and children between friends between co-workers, so many opportunities to speak the truth in love. So we want to talk about th- that today. In fact. In this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is where we've been developing this whole series, it's right in the middle. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually right in the middle of the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Okay, Paul, who wrote the book, he he started the church in Corinth, and then sometime later he left. Sometime after that, he heard there were issues going on in the church. There were some things that needed to be addressed, and so he wrote them these letters of first and second corinthians and in practically every chapter in first and second corinthians he's dealing with some kind of issue that needs to be addressed and so this first corinthians 13 kind of falls right in the middle of all of this and so What I want us to see today, and we're going to draw a lot of scriptures from those surrounding verses, but there's there's three questions I want to ask and answer today to help us to speak the truth in love. The first question is, to whom should I speak the truth in love? Okay, to whom should I do that? And then, why should I do it? Why should I even bother speaking the truth and love to the people in my life? And then maybe the most important question is, how do I do it? Okay, how do I do that? So let's answer the first question. To whom do I speak? the truth in love. It's not everybody, okay? You don't necessarily speak the truth in love to everybody because you don't have a relationship with everybody. What I'm talking about is speaking the truth in love to people that that you know, people that you've developed a relationship with, people that you're doing life with, those people, not just total strangers. There are some people who think it's their spiritual gift to be everybody's Holy Spirit, and they think they're the junior Holy Spirit, and they everybody's policemen, and it's their job to go around and cor- correct everybody for the wrong in their life. And say, no, look to your neighbor and say, no, it's not your job to do that. It's not your job. But we're talking about, about the people in your life that you have a relationship with. I remember uh, 27 years ago when Ann and I moved here and started Abundant Life Church. Before Abundant Life Church actually started on the first Sunday in June of 2000, not 2000, 1989, I would travel around to some of the churches in the Portland area, and I would speak on Sunday morning, and I would preach on Sunday night. And I remember one Sunday evening, after I'd finished speaking, I remember the church. I can picture it like it happened yesterday. After I finished speaking, this guy came up to me, and almost the first words out of his mouth, and he introduced himself, he's a local pastor, he's a pastor in the community, and he, the first words out of his mouth, he, he was questioning the health of my relationship with my wife. And I thought, wow, that's going deep pretty fast, you know. It's like, wow, I mean, I don't even know you. I mean, you've heard me speak one time, and you've known me for less than an hour. I'm thinking, who are you? And, and what gives you the right to, like, question the... I'm trying to figure out what was it I said that would have caused it. Maybe I told a joke about burnt offerings or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But... I thought, this is just weird because, I mean, at least get to know me, at least get to understand me, at least get to know. And so, I'm not talking about anybody and everybody because I'm not sure you've got the right to do that. I think you need to develop a relationship. It takes the work and the effort of developing a relationship with someone before you necessarily have the right to speak into their life. In fact, Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds made by a, what's that word? A friend. Words made by a friend. Everybody say friend. Okay, not a stranger. Not words made by a stranger, but words made by a friend are intended to help. And so... I'm not giving you permission to just go out and land blast everybody and tell everybody what's wrong with them, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, but people that you're doing life with, people that you're developing a relationship with. In fact, when you get into a life group, you're going to probably begin developing relationships with people, and, and in the course of that time, there may be the relationship to develop to where somebody could speak into your life, and and, and, and hopefully the relationship has grown to where you welcome that, and you benefit from that, and, and that, so that's what I'm talking about. Now, let's ask the second question, why do I do this? Why do I speak the truth in love? I mean, why do I go through the pain of that? Why do I go through the angst of that? Because it's not fun, you know, doing that. I mean, if you have the kind of person who's like, you like doing that sort of a thing, it's like, oh, gosh, I'm not sure I want to be around you too much. But, <laughs> but the reason I do it is because I care enough to confront I care enough. I I want the best for this person. That was my senior pastor. It it wasn't because he was jealous of me. It wasn't because he was, you know, trying to be like super pastor and, and, you know, and and condescending or any of that. But I think he really wanted the best for me because I was young and I was learning and I didn't really see this. And so he wanted the best. And and, and so I'm glad he did it because it helped me. But what happens and what we discover is that the road to deeper relationships, it often goes through the tunnel of truth. The tunnel of truth. Has anybody here ever been through the tunnel of truth before? You you probably have an idea of what I'm talking about, the tunnel of truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, he, he begins by saying, I'm writing these things to you not to shame you, But to warn you as my beloved children. You see, you and I have a choice to make when it comes to the relationships in our life. Either our relationships can be uh, shallow and superficial, or they can be deep and mature. You get to choose. With your spouse, you, you you can have a deep and mature relationship, or you can keep it shallow and superficial. And the way you keep it shallow and superficial is you never talk about the elephant in the room. You just keep things on a surface level, and you just smile, and you just pretend that everything's okay when both of you know it's not. And, but if you want a deep relationship, a mature relationship, one that's going to grow, you'll talk about some of the tough stuff, but you do it in a way that that's loving, but you're going to go through that tunnel of truth. Listen to the compassion in in Paul's voice when he uh, he writes. He says, I'm writing these things not to shame you. It's not to shame you, but to warn you. Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honest answer is the sign of true friendship. Aren't you grateful when people can actually tell you the truth about yourself and they do it in a loving way and, and they do it and you know they're doing it because they care about you? Because they love you. You ever have food in your teeth and, and in only to find out after you've had several conversations with people and not a one of them told you? Aren't you appreciative of the one person who loved you enough to say, hey, listen, Paul, I don't think you know this, but you got like a big piece of salad right there. Okay? Remember a story I told you about probably about a year or two ago? I was getting my microphone put on one Sunday before church, and I was back in the green room, and they were getting my mic put on getting it hooked on my collar and getting all that stuff right. And the entire time, I had a booger right there on the end of my nose. You remember that? You remember that? Why do people remember things like that? And, and he didn't tell me, he didn't tell me, until after the first service is over, I go back to the restroom, and you know, I'm trying to, you know, you know, all this stuff. I look at, my dear, I've got a booger on the end of my nose. And nobody told me. Come on, we're friends, you can tell me. I give you the permission, okay? If ever you see a booger on my nose, if you see food in my teeth, tell me okay let me know you've got permission to do that and but but anyway you and I are going to go through the tunnel of truth and an honest answer is always a sign of good true friendship now in the tunnel of truth however when when you start to enter into the tunnel of truth everything in you is going to want to put the brakes on and you're going to stop, and you're going to, to turn around and go the other direction. You're going to try to sidestep it, you know, try to take a detour because you're not going to go through it. Nobody wants to go through the Tunnel of Truth. And fortunately, some tunnels, they're small, they're short, and they're not too bad, okay? Like, I mean, if you go through, like, Highway 26, right, going out to the coast, there's a tiny little tunnel you go through. How long does it take you to go through that? You know, maybe what? Ten seconds, five seconds, something like that. That's not too bad. And so every so every now and then, when you know you got to sit down with somebody and say, "Hey, listen, I don't know if you know this, but let me just tell you this." You go, "Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I really appreciate it." And you go on, and that's it. And that's great, right? And you appreciate that. That's a nice little short tunnel. That's okay. But sometimes they're long tunnels, and sometimes it's like, are we ever going to get through this? I mean, we've been talking about this for like three hours, and now we're bringing it up again, and we've got to talk about it some more, and then it resurfaces again next week. It's like it goes on and on and on because you've got to talk about it. It's deep stuff. It's difficult. How many of you have ever been to the East Coast around, um, uh, oh, what's it called, Hampton Roads, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel? Anybody ever been on that tunnel, bridge tunnel? Anybody here? Nobody? Wow. If you ever, yeah, right here. Just so you know what I'm talking about. If you ever go back to Chesapeake, Virginia, I'm from Virginia, and so I got to drive on this thing several times. It's this tunnel that that connects the eastern part of Virginia to Hampton Roads. And this this bridge and this tunnel, it's like one of the seven wonders of the geographical, not geographical architectural world. This thing is huge. And it's like, guess how long it is? It's like 17. It's just a little over 17 miles long. I mean, is anybody here have a fear of bridges? Yeah, well, you don't want to be on this one. I'm telling you. Wow. And, and you'll notice how it goes and it makes that curve, and then all of a sudden it disappears. It's like, it's not like they stopped building it or anything. It's like, no, it goes down into the water, and now you're under all this water. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's dark, and what do you think? It's like, man, I'm going to have a flat tire. What if I run out of gas? What if we have an accident? We're going to be stuck here for like three hours or 24 hours. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's scary. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Don't be looking it up during church, okay? You can... (laughs) And check it out. It's, it's like crazy long. Sometimes going through the tunnel of truth is that way. It's like, is this ever going to end? But it's deep, it's dark, it's scary, and it takes courage to get through there. But you've got to go through it. You've got to go through it in order to get to the other side. If you want to get to the other side, you've got to go through it. And some of you want to get to the other side with your relationship. You want it to go deeper. You want it to be better. You want it to be richer and stronger. But I'm telling you, to get there, you're probably going to have to go through the tunnel of truth. And that's okay. That's okay. As long as you do it in love. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So let's just talk about it right now. How do you navigate this? How do you speak the truth in love. Now, circle those two words: truth and love, because both are important. Both are important. What if I invited you over to dinner to my house, and and after we prayed, I say, "Oh, hey, wait, wait, wait! Just before we eat dinner, let me go get a bottle of Clorox, and let me have you put some Clorox on the food." You know, you would think, "What is up with that?" Well, you know, chlorine, as you know, is a poisonous gas that gives Clorox the, that nasty odor, right? Nobody wants just Clorox. But if you were to, to mix chlorine or chloride with, with sodium, what do you get? Because sodium is an element that is always is attached to another. You get common table salt, right? Well, you don't want Clorox by itself. And, and, and salt, you know, mixed with, you know, with that, when you put that sodium together, you get salt. Well, that's the idea between truth and love. You see, some people are good at telling the truth, right? You know people who are good at telling the truth. And some people have this attitude, listen, I just say it the way it is. I just say the truth. I say what I see. I say what I think. And I just let the chips fall where they may, right? And there are people who do that. And what they're saying might even be truthful. They might be spot on. But it's like poison. It's like toxic. It's like, man, you're killing me. Yes, it's truthful, but where is the love? And so, so there's truth, yes, but it's coupled with love. You've got to have grace and they're seasoned with love because if it's just truth, it's like poison. If it's just love, it's like mush. Okay, and it's like lovey-dovey and all that, and you never really talk about serious stuff because, you know, i got to be loving, and I don't want to hurt their feelings, and I don't want to bring up something that's going to make them feel bad and stuff like that. Well, that's all love, okay? And, and relationships just don't mature if that's all it is, and nor do they mature if it's just all truth because now you're killing people, and you have this relational wreckage, you know, in your wake. So you put them together, you speak the truth in love. So how do you do that? Let me give you three principles to think about. Here's the first one. Check the condition of your heart. Just begin by checking the condition of your heart. In other words, why am I speaking this to this person? Because this is the principle of motivation. This is the principle of motivation. I have to ask myself the question, why do do I feel the need to tell this person what I'm about to tell them? Because you would agree with me, there are ulterior motives for even speaking the truth to people. Sometimes we want to speak the truth to people because we're jealous of them, or because we want to put them down a notch or two, or because we want to feel superior, or because we have this need to correct everybody. You know, sometimes we see things in other people that we know a truth about ourselves. And, and you, don't, you don't like it in you, and when you see it in somebody else, you, don't, you especially don't like it in them. And so there's all kinds of ulterior motives for speaking the truth to people. So I have to ask myself the question, why do I want to do this? Why do I want to speak the truth to them before I really check the condition of my own heart? And that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have this log in your own eye? You know, it's like, you know, you're worried about the sawdust, the piece of sawdust in your friend's eye, and you've got this telephone pole, you know, that's <laughs> protruding out of yours. And then he says, go ahead first off and, you know, get the log out of your own eye, and then perhaps you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, deal with yourself first. Check your motives. Now, he's not saying... And he's not suggesting that you never speak the truth to love in a person's life. Because, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Paul said, speak the truth in the spirit of love. So he's not saying you don't do it. He's just saying, check your motives before you do do it. What's the motive of your heart? What's driving this? And have you come before the Lord, first off, to say, God, before I have this conversation, would you help me? First off, would you just reveal in my own life things I need to get straight? in my life before I lamb blast this person, you know? And, and so it's just getting that motive right. It's getting the motive right. Because, and, and, and having the right motive is obviously going to have something to do with your love for them, your care for them, you want them to succeed, you want the best for them. And you know that's where it's coming from. Second Corinthians chapter 12 says, Paul says, you know, I told you all this stuff. He says, we told you this as Christ's servants, Because everything we do, dear friends, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. That's why we do it. So first, check the intention, the motivation of your own heart. And ask yourself the question, is this for their benefit or is this for my benefit that I'm telling them this? Check the condition. Here's number two. Engage your mind. Engage your mind. In other words, think before you speak. Think before you speak. It's easy to speak before we think. It's difficult to think before we speak. And and so it's so important. Remember, I, I didn't teach the message where I would have talked about tact here, and I don't know if Pastor Greg did or not. I don't know if he gave you my favorite definition of tact. My favorite definition of tact is telling somebody to go jump off of a bridge in such a way that they look forward to the journey. Okay. <laughs> And so when you're able to speak the truth in love in such a way that you've engaged your mind, you think about what it is you're going to say in such a way that it comes across in a loving manner. And words are so very important. Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors, and he's a fantastic speaker. He's a great writer, and I love the way he puts things. He, relative to this topic that we're talking about, he wrote this in his book, Just Like Jesus. Some of us may be able to sympathize with the fellow who received a call from his wife just as she was about to fly home from Europe. So she, she calls and, and she says to her husband, how's my cat? Dead, was the response. Oh, honey, don't be so blunt. Why didn't you break the news to me slowly? Now you've ruined my trip. What do you mean? Well, you could have told me he was on the roof. And then when I called you from Paris, you could have told me that he's acting sluggish. And then when I called from London, you could have said, he's sick. And then when I called from New York, you could have said that he was at the vet. And and then when I arrived home, then you could have said, he's dead. And the husband thought, well, I've never heard of such protocol as this, but I'll, I'll try to do better. And and I'm willing to learn. So, okay, he said, I'll I'll do better next time. The wife, by the way, how's my mom? (laughs) There was a long silence. And he said, "Um, she's on the roof. (laughs) (laughs) Proverbs 16 says that that intelligent people, they think. Everybody say think. Intelligent people think before they speak, and what they say then is more uh, is more powerful, it's more persuasive. Think before you speak. Engage your mind before you open your mouth. This is the principle of consideration. You're wanting to consider the other person's state of being. You want to consider their emotions. You want to consider their feelings. You want to be gracious. You want to be considerate of, of these people. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says... I wrote you out of great distress. He says, I wrote all this to you out of great distress, out of great anguish of my heart with, with many tears. I mean, you can hear the emotion in, in, his, in his words. He says, I wrote not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. He was being very considerate of them. He was talking to them about some really tough issues. Go read first and second Corinthians. Tough issues, and he says, you need to know that when I wrote this, it was through tears. I was in anguish. I was in pain writing this to you because I was. I so wanted to be considerate of your feelings and, and what this might do to you, what this might mean to you. But it's out of the depth of love for you that, that I, I did this. So when you had this loving confrontation with somebody who means a lot to you, whether it's a son or a daughter, a, a spouse or a, a friend or whatever, there are three things that, that you might think about. Let me encourage you to think about this. Think about when you will say it. How many of you believe that time is important? The yeah, time is important. You know, when you're gonna say something is so important. Proverbs 25 says, a wise friend's timely, timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. Timely words, timing's everything. It's just not smart, you know, uh, the night before you leave on vacation and you say to your spouse, you know, have you ever thought about going back on that exercise and diet program that you used to be on? You know, timing is everything, okay? I remember, speaking of timing, my wife, when she was 12 years old, when she was just a little girl, which, by the way, she would be 65 tomorrow. This is a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, and she did not mind me telling you that because she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She don't look 65 at all if you see her, if you know her. She's not here, I can, I can she's not here, or else I probably wouldn't have said that. She, she's, well, you we are here, where are you? I'm so glad I said you she's beautiful. She, I know my face is getting red right now, but am I not right in saying that you're okay with me saying that? Am I, am I okay? Yes, okay, good. So she's 12 years old. That will teach me. She was 12 years old. She was 12 years old when 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 she when she said, "I want to marry a pastor. I, I want to be a minister's wife." When, that was her lifelong dream. And so you know, we met in, in college. We we were born in the same hospital, went to the same junior high and high school. But she's a couple years older than me, and uh, four, almost four to be exact. And uh, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and and so. And so we got married between my sophomore and junior year of college. Got married between my sophomore and junior year of college, in Bible college. And it was on our honeymoon that I said to her, you know, I'm not sure I want to be a pastor. <laughs> and that broke her heart. And she, was up, and, I, and she was up in the room crying. I was down trying to get stuff out of the trunk. And I didn't know that she was up crying. And I said, I don't know if I want to be a pastor. And to make matters worse, I said, I think I want to be a policeman. Horrible timing, bad timing, (laughs) not smart, not smart at all. That was dumb. And so when you say something is important. What you say is important. Proverbs 25, the right word, everybody say the right word. The right word at the right time is like a precious gold set in silver, okay? The right word. And, and what that means, when I say right word, don't use phrases like you always or, or you never, okay? Because nobody always does anything, okay? Nobody never does this or whatever, okay? So don't use, and don't use sarcasm. Some of you are good at sarcasm, okay? I can be pretty good at sarcasm. And so you have to be careful not to stick that knife in there and kind of twist it around. Okay? It reminds me of Winston Churchill. He was great at sarcasm. And Lady Astor, a friend of his, and 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 she said she said to him one time, she said she said Churchill, if if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. Yeah, that's what she said. And he was so quick, he came right back and said, well, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. And so. So what you say when you say it, and then how you say it, how you say it is important. Listen to Proverbs 12, 18, how you say it. Thoughtless words, thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words, circle those words, so wisely spoken words, they can heal. They can heal. Thoughtless words can hurt deeply. Thoughtful words can heal. So think about when, what, and how you say it. Here's number three. So check the condition of your heart. Engage your mind. Number three, season your words. Season your words. Season your words. Some people are very powerful personalities, and some people have very dominant voices, and some people have the ability to run over people with their words, right? like a steamroll and just flatten people into the ground. And some people have the ability to take their words and use it like a club and just beat people over the head with it. Some people have the ability to do that. And even, even if you don't have the ability to do it, you know, we, we all can be prone to, to doing that. And Proverbs 12 says that a word of encouragement does wonders. A word of encouragement does wonders. Season your words with, with, with um, encouragement. Encouragement. This is the principle of affirmation. The principle of affirmation. Even when you speak the truth and love to people, you can still affirm people. You can raise their value. You can appreciate them. That's possible to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, listen to this again. This is in the midst of all this difficult stuff that he's writing to them. Notice what he says in the midst of this. He says, I have great confidence in you. I have great confidence in you, and I have a lot of reasons to be proud of you. Isn't that great? In the midst of all these difficult things, I have confidence in you. You can do this. I have a lot of reasons to be proud of you. So check your heart, engage your mind, and season your words. And hopefully, when you speak the truth in love, as as you engage in those conversations with, with your friend or your spouse or whatever, the response will be like what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says... I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't, I don't feel bad now that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. You were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God. And that's what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote the letter. Here's a verse that's not in your life notes, and I want to close out the message with this verse. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. You might write this down. These, again, are the words of Paul. He says in Colossians 4 verse 6, "Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Isn't that good? Let your words be gracious, let them be attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Love is. How would you complete that statement? Love is. I't oh, know. Love is hard. Love's difficult. Love takes time. Love can be very demanding. There's a lot of ways you could finish that. Love, love is, it's painful. Love's difficult. Love matters most. Love matters most. That's where we started this journey. Paul says, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter, all that stuff. It doesn't matter if you don't have love in your heart. He says that's the most important. When he concluded this chapter, chapter 13, he finished out by saying, and now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. And what did he say is the greatest of all? He said, Love. Love's the greatest of all. Love's the greatest of all. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that as I grow more and more in Jesus Christ, that I become a more loving person. Because all of these descriptors, love is patient, kind, forgiving, all these things, it's a description of Jesus and my heart is to be more like Jesus I pray that for you that you'd be more like Jesus is it easy no is it possible yes you can you can but only through the power of God working in and through you and his Holy Spirit I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head, and as you close your eyes today, the greatest act of love. The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. And so, the greatest response to your loving Heavenly Father is to receive this gracious gift he's given to you in his Son, Jesus. Today, if you've not received Jesus into your life as your Savior, And that's your desire. I'm going to ask if you would repeat this prayer after me in just a moment. And for those of you who've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you also would pray this same prayer. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, today I am so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your patience with me. Today, I humble myself before you, and once again, I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. I choose to follow you, and I pray this in your name, amen.